0: Hello, I'm Abram Van an English professor at Washington University in St. Louis.
1: And I'm Joanne Diaz, an English professor at Illinois Wesleyan University.
0: And this is Poetry for All.
1: Today, Spencer Reese is joining us to talk about James Merrill's beautiful poem, Christmas Tree. Spencer Reese is the author of The Clerk's Tale and The Road to Emmaus. He is a recipient of fellowships from the Guggenheim Foundation and the NEA, a Binner Fellowship from the Library of Congress, the Amy Lowell Poetry Traveling Scholarship, and a Whiting Writer's Award. While a Fulbright Fellow in Honduras, he taught poetry to the girls at the Our Little Roses Orphanage, and you can find their work in the anthology he compiled called Counting Time Like People Count Stars. His forthcoming memoir is titled The Secret Gospel of Mark. He is an Episcopal priest who works in Queens, New York. Welcome, Spencer.
0: Thank you. It's a real treat for us to have you on this podcast with us. And uh, Spencer, when we invited you to be a guest on this podcast, you suggested that we read a poem together by James Merrill called The Christmas Tree. Can you just tell us a little bit about why you chose this poem? Well, meeting
2: James Merrill was uh, a very important moment in my tiny little biography. I, I had been you know, before *The Clerk's Tale* was published, I was forty-one years old, and I did not go through a, an MFA program or or world, so I I didn't know a lot of people in poetry. And ten years before Louise Glick picked *The Clerk's Tale* uh, for the Bakeless Prize, I met James Merrill um, through letters. I wrote him a fan letter, and he responded right away, and and it was just it was like hearing from Elvis Presley, or something—you know—I mean, it was like I had heard from the gods, and and a correspondence ensued. Those—that was the time of letters when people wrote letters, and then I—he came to Minneapolis where I lived, little mini, little humble Minneapolis where I lived, and I think it's accurate that you know I was like nervous, like I would my knees were knocking when I met him, and I wanted him to like Minneapolis, and he gave a reading. And then I met him once more. And then in 1995, he died. So it was a short period of time that I knew him. I think it was about five years, all told. And his death was a shock to me. This was the height of another pandemic, which was called AIDS. And the, the most poignant part of my interaction with James Merrill, to me today, as now a person that's almost 60 years old, is that he knew he was sick. He knew he was dying. And he he went ahead and helped me anyway. And I had no conception that he knew that he was dying because he had kept it a great secret. Mm. There was a lot of shame still around being gay. I know that's hard for anybody listening to this that's like under 30 to believe, but there, there was a lot of shame. And he was He published a memoir at that time. He was very nervous about it. He was very nervous about his poems being collected into gay anthologies. And so this poem is so touching to me because he wrote it right at the end of his life. It's not obfuscating or impenetrable. Some of his work is, you know, deeply elegant and and rich, but not that easy. And he didn't always want his poetry to be easy, he told me. He loved Wallace Stevens, and he loved that Wallace Stevens thought poetry should be, you know, just a little bit difficult (laughs) to understand. But this poem is not difficult to understand. He's writing it at the very end of his life. It's like Jesus in the last week of his life and what Jesus says in the last week of his life is also very poignant because he knows what's coming. So he picks this very simple form, which is a a shape poem or a concrete poem that's in the shape of a Christmas tree. The poem is in in the voice of the tree. So if I told you that there is a poet out there who wrote a poem that was in the shape of a Christmas tree and it was in the voice of a tree, the the odds of the poem being really bad would be pretty high. Um, It just, even today and, you know, Christmas is coming and God only knows with the pandemic that we've got going on right now, what kind of... um, Christmas we've got Mm -hmm. in store for us. All I know is that we've got to be just so kind, as kind as we possibly can be to each other. And this man was so kind to me and he
0: didn't Mm -hmm. need to be. Mm -hmm. With all that said, would you uh, mind reading the poem for us?
2: Okay. So Christmas Tree by James Merrill. To be brought down at last from the cold sighing mountain where I and the others had been fed, looked after, kept still, meant I knew, of course I knew, that it would be only a matter of weeks, that there was nothing more to do. Warmly they took me in, made much of me. The point from the start was to keep my spirits up. I could assent to that, for honestly it did help to be wound in jewels to send their colors flashing forth from vents in the deep fragrant sable that cloaked me head to foot over me then they wove a spell of shining purple and silver chains eaves dripping tinsel amulets milagros Software of silver, a heart, a little girl, a Model T, two staring eyes, the angels, trumpets, Bud and Bea, the children's names in clown-like capitals. Somewhere a music box whose tiny song played and replayed I ended before long by loving. And in shadows behind me, a primitive IV to keep the show going. Yes, yes, what lay ahead was clear. The stripping, the cold street, my chemicals plowed back into earth for lives to come. No doubt a blessing, a harvest, but one that doesn't bear, now or ever, dwelling upon. To have grown so thin, needles and bone. The little boy's hands meeting about my spine. The mother's voice holding up wonderfully. No dread, no bitterness. The end, beginning. Today's dusk room aglow for the last time with candlelight. Faces, love lit, gifts, underfoot. Still to be so poised, so receptive, still to recall, to praise.
1: Um, You know, I'm so interested in something that you said, Spencer, before you read the poem, which is that, you know, initially if you hear that someone has written a poem in the shape of a Christmas tree and is speaking as the tree it might sound laughable, you might not take it seriously, and yet it's incredible. It's a beautiful poem, and he's engaging in a long and varied tradition of visual poetry um, that poets have tried all over the planet for centuries, right? I'm thinking of George Herbert, who you know, I know you love him as a poet, and uh, Su Hui, who is a Chinese poet, who wrote a great poem that is written as a puzzle that can be written and read in 7,000 different ways. It's incredible. So there are so many poets that have innovated with these forms. Um, I wonder if you could talk about how you see the form working as you read these lines.
2: You know, I mean, he did so many forms—sestinas. Um, he did every possible form he could find under the sun, and all the different meters that he could he could think of. And he he loved Auden, and loved Auden. Auden was a master metrician. You know, we don't talk about these fellows so much these days, but I hope we will maybe more again soon, someday. <laughs> so it's poignant to me that he's picking this. Because it's so simple, he's not picking terza rima or or a sestina or he. No, he's going for like the simplest thing under the sun, and um, I think when you're in those moments um, of duress, impending death, you know you start to think in simpler mm-hmm. way mm-hmm. and so um there's something beautiful that comes together for him here i know so there's pressure in looking at this this form poem that's in the shape of something because when you look at a painting in a museum you immediately say i like this or, or you go to the prado and you say oh my god amazing but when you look at a poem you you can't really do that. You you have to, like Joanne, you were saying you you had to read this poem for two or three weeks, go over it, d- metabolize it, then come back to it. it. It's a different it's a different mechanism mm-hmm. in the brain. And so in a shape poem, it's bringing that those those thoughts together. I guess.
0: I mean, the other thing I notice about just the the fact of this shape. So you start with a star at the top. Of course, and the first two lines are to be brought down at last. And of course, as we move through the poem, we're, we're moving down through the tree, uh, through the trunk at the end of the tree and into the ground at the end, which is, of course, what is happening, what the poem is about, in effect, to be brought down and to be, and to be sent into the ground. Uh, and so the shape of the poem is also reenacting the content of the poem in that sense as well.
2: Totally. And yeah, then somewhere along the way, you realize it's a Christmas tree. So it's it's cut off. Mm-hmm. But one thing I've noticed looking at this poem is that it begins with the verb to be. And if you go back and reread the stump of the poem, it's it's missing the to be verb. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the very verb of existence, to be or not to be, to w- which the poem opens with, by the time we get to the trunk, he's... Using sentence fragments, and he's removed that the to be verb should be in the stump, but it's not it's gone that it's it's disappearing as it's as we're reading it. Uh,
0: one of the places where I notice the rhymes are not quite perfect, and I think gets uh, to the sort of incredible subtleties and relationship between form and content here is at the very end in that stump. So if you take a look at the, the, the very beginning of the stump, uh, the, the line right before it, it, it ends on the word todays, which of course rhymes with the last word praise. And then the next line down, <coughs> oh, dusk yeah. room aglow, rhymes with the second to last line, still to be so poised, so aglow and so rhyme. But then in between those two things, you have four sort of half rhymes or almost off rhymes, time and light, and then lit and foot. Uh, and so what you see happening there, or what I see happening in the trunk there, are these rhymes that are setting up as kind of bookends of the trunk that regain the balance, or <clears throat> that, to use his word there, the poise at the very end is regained. Uh, so the off-rhymes sort of throw you off balance, and then the, the, the rhymes return to regain that poise at the very end.
2: That's brilliant. I didn't, I, I had not noticed that. But you're right. You're totally right.
1: I think... Something as I hear you talking and, and you know, as we look at the poem, I've ne- I think I'm so moved by this poem because I can't remember anything I've read uh, in a long time that is s- so good at articulating the kind of acceptance of death in the face of death that this poem presents, right? So if you look at that right before that stump as you're describing it, no dread, no bitterness, the end beginning, and the end has already begun at the very beginning of the poem, which is to say there are some phrases in this poem that feel very relaxed to me and very accepting, and I just don't know how he crafted these sentences, but the ones that, you know, uh, that are sort of at the beginning of the poem, I knew, of course I knew, that it would be only a matter of weeks, that there was nothing more to do. Warmly they took me in made much of me the point from the start was to keep my spirits up i could assent to that there's a way in which he, these lines uh, i mean the voice is so present it, i feel so close to the voice this is i not i don't know this person this voice that's speaking but it feels so at ease with what is being bestowed upon him
0: just to tie it to the end it feels so poised and so receptive which is where where the yes. where the poem brings brings you to a close, still to be so poised, so receptive,
2: well, and if you had met him in real life, he was very poised, and he was very receptive, mm. he was so unusual in the strange and tiny world of poetry because he was the heir to the Merrill Lynch. Um his father was Merrill of Merrill Lynch.
0: So, the end. So
1: it's,
2: like, it's like his parents invented the doorknob. Uh, he I think he famously said, you know, he he did he, he didn't need to go to work. And so Merrill was inspiring in that he just devoted everything to poetry. It was his it was his life.
0: can i ask you to to uh reflect just joanne and i were talking before about how the poem ends and i keep coming back to that ending because i find the ending so startling in so many ways and i'm sort of curious if you could tell me what what is your reaction to this ending because for me when i read it it's um it's it's a giant surprise and you have that word um, milagros in the middle, which means literally miracles or surprises in there, these um, charms that get hung on the tree. Uh, and when we come to the end, it's, it's been a poem of, uh, yes, receptivity, yes, ascent, yes, uh, poise and so on, um, but also melancholy and lament. And the last word of the poem is praise. So I, I'm sort of curious how you read that turn to praise at the very end of this poem
2: well I love that that's the last word and um, it's what i'm I feel like I'm called to do organically and unconsciously in in everything I do in in art his life was not without challenges and tragedies and betrayals and disappointments um, nobody gets out of here without having some some difficulties I don't think but um, I mean, that's what makes me weep, is that mm-hmm. word.
1: And even yeah. though this is not a religious poem in any sort of theological or dogmatic way that James Merrill has written, for it to end on praise in this way, its it does seem to be speaking back to poems of praise over the, the long history of literature that he knew so well, no?
2: Well, yes, and I mean... <sighs> The Christmas tree is a Christian symbol, and he was a lapsed Episcopalian, and it was all in there. And the the end of the poem is um, to recall and to to praise. And if you've ever been in the in the liturgy of the Catholic or the Episcopal Church, I mean that that's what you say in um, in the liturgy every Sunday. Mm. I mean, I don't would be that explicit and he wasn't religious, but I I am religious and I am a Christian and I am a priest. And I, I, I love this poem. That's, that's not exactly religious, but, but is, is, is seeking for those things at the end of life.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, with that said, and with this sort of sense of the shape of the poem and the movements of the poem, internal rhymes, things to listen for and look for, Uh, Can we hear this poem again? Christmas
2: Tree uh, by James Merrill. To be brought down at last from the cold sighing mountain where I and the others had been fed, looked after, kept still, meant I knew, of course I knew, that it would be only a matter of weeks, that there was nothing more to do. Warmly, they took me in, made much of me. The point from the start was to keep my spirits up. I could assent to that, for honestly, it did help to be wound in jewels, to send their colors flashing forth from vents in the deep, fragrant sable that cloaked me head to foot. Over me, then, they wove a spell of shining purple and silver chains, eaves-dripping tinsel, amulets, milagros, software of silver, a heart, a little girl, a Model T, two staring eyes, the angels, trumpets, Bud and Bea, the children's names in clown-like capitals, Somewhere a music box whose tiny song played and replayed, I ended before long by loving. And in shadow behind me, a primitive ivy to keep the show going. Yes, yes, what lay ahead was clear the stripping, the cold street, my chemicals plowed back into earth for lives to come. No doubt a blessing a harvest, but one that doesn't bear now or ever dwelling upon. To have grown so thin, needles and bone, the little boy's hands meeting about my spine, the mother's voice holding up wonderfully, no dread, no bitterness. The End Beginning Today's Dusk room aglow, for the last time with candlelight. Faces love lit, gifts underfoot. Still to be so poised, so receptive. Still to recall, to praise.
1: So good.
0: Thank you so much. much, Thank you to Spencer Reese for joining us uh, this week. For more information on James Merrill's work, as well as a link to see this poem, please see the Poetry for All website at poetryforall.fireside.fm.
1: And please remember to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram.
2: Thank you for listening. Thank
1: you, Spencer.
2: Oh, thank you for doing the great work you're doing. I love this. (laughs)